0: Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a friend uh, named Reverend Josh Wilton. He's pastor at the table. Some of you may know him. And he's known for having a number of catchphrases. And one of my favorites that I borrow from time to time is, you owe it to yourself. So... A couple of examples of how this works is, if I were to wonder out loud, should I have another cookie, Josh would always and automatically respond, oh yeah, you owe it to yourself. And that's all the permission I need. (laughs) Or if I were to muse out loud, I'm trying to decide if I should get the new iPhone, Josh will always and automatically respond, I think you owe it to yourself. Now, he always says this with a heavy dose of irony. He knows full well it's alluding to the tendency we have to want immediate satisfaction for our desires, for whatever we want. And that this thing is essentially a take on the taking the waiting out of wanting mentality that credit card companies have thrived on in our society built on consumerism or the old Radio Shack slogan, for all the stuff you don't know you need which could just as easily be the slogan for a Costco membership. <laughs> our society today wants, we want and want and want, immediate satisfaction for our desires. We want, we don't want to wait. And yet, our desires can never be satisfied or fulfilled. And this is the root of the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet And today we come to the end of our journey through the Ten Commandments. All things, good things must come to an end. There's nothing I can do about this. There are only ten. But (laughs) through our journey together, we have observed now many times that God, the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, came down to the mountain, Mount Sinai, this was exhibited through thunder and lightning, smoke and fire, and he spoke the law to his people through Moses. And we've seen that he did this to reveal himself to his people, to reveal his character as he instructs his people to live in a way that reflects who he is. He did this to rescue his people from slavery, not just slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, but slavery to sin. As he instructs his people on how to live in a way that makes the most of the freedom that has been given to them and that this means loving and serving him and one another. So then we've come to see that commandments one to four are about loving God and commandments five to ten are all about loving your neighbor. And the last three that we've looked at are all tied to loving your neighbor by respecting or honoring their property. That's interesting, because it almost kind of seems like there's a bit too much importance being placed on the ownership of property. We'll come back to that later, because the last commandment is also about property. The tenth and last commandment reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the Hebrew word for covet is chamad, and it's a neutral word. It can refer to delight or fondness for something or someone in a very perfectly acceptable, healthy way. But it can also refer to lust or desire for something or someone that's off limits, which is unacceptable, which is sinful. The Hebrew word for house that we get, baith, doesn't mean just a physical structure. It means the entire household, a person's property, family, and all their possessions. When God gave the law to Israel at Mount Sinai, they were still wandering through the desert, towards the land that God had promised them. They were still a semi-nomadic people, so their possessions were things like the ox and the donkey and the servants or slaves. These were movable property, and they were the typical signs of health, wealth, and happiness. So this means we can read the Tenth Commandment as, you shall not covet your neighbor's household. And this means you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or essentially anything that belongs to your neighbor, anything that belongs to someone else. It is worth noting here that coveting something that belongs to our neighbor is not the same thing as envying our neighbor for owning it. This commandment can't also be translated as, you shall not envy. However, envy, resenting the fact that others have what we don't, is almost always and automatically a product of Covetousness, And there's no better place to find a perfect example of this than in social media. Now, I don't know how many of you use Facebook or Instagram, but if so, how many have seen photos of friends or family enjoying a wonderful holiday or travels in some wonderful part of the world and muttered to ourselves or, or someone else, Oh, that's nice for them. <laughs> That's laced with a heavy dose of envy, isn't it? (laughs) This isn't because we don't want them to have a nice holiday. It's not because we wish it was us instead of them. It's simply because we want what they have. And this feeling doesn't make us happy. It uh, churns inside of us. And this is envy. So social media has been built on our culture of consumerism and then created this culture of envy as well. And we're all aware of this. It's no secret There are studies about how it is affecting our mental health, especially the mental health of our youth. But we keep on scrolling. It's not healthy. And it is sinful because ultimately our desire for what others have means we're dissatisfied with what God has given us. This demonstrates a lack of gratitude as well as a lack of faith in his provision and in his love. And that's the opposite of loving him. And as... Master Yoda from Star Wars might say, coveting leads to envy, envy leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) to suffering, to hurting one's neighbor, to take from them what we want. This is the opposite of our call to love our neighbor. Now we've observed that when the law was given, seven of the Ten Commandments were capital crimes, But the Tenth Commandment isn't. That's because it's a crime that's very difficult to detect. Previous four focus on actions that can be committed or words that can be spoken. But the Tenth looks at what lies inwardly behind many of those outward words or actions. Coveting is an attitude of the mind. It's a state of the heart. It can also become an activity if we start to find a way to acquire what we covet, and so we see through this how covetousness can quickly and easily consume every part of us, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet despite its all-consuming nature, I'd argue that the Tenth Commandment is probably not the first one that comes to mind when you think of the Ten Commandments. Many of us may even forget it if we're trying to recite all of them. It does seem to get lost in the shuffle. Would it make the highlight reel of the top three or top five or even top nine? And I say this because we see that in this morning's reading from Mark's Gospel, an episode we've reflected on before when we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, when Jesus met this rich young man who asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus listed the commandments, all the ones that have to do with loving our neighbor. But not all of them. He stopped short of the last one. So, by all observations, this man had kept the laws Jesus listed. But Jesus knew it was only in external ways. It was only in ways that could be observed. And so, Jesus continued, One thing you lack. And then he instructed this young man to go and sell all his possessions. And by doing this, he brought attention to the Tenth Commandment and showed the man that coveting is idolatry. It's placing value on something, one's own possessions or wanting more of them, which leads us to wanting what belongs to another. And this can quickly and easily escalate to doing that, to wanting things to such a degree that we value those things above or before God. Now, earlier we just observed that the Ten Com- in the Ten Commandments, it kind of seems like there's a bit too much importance being placed on the ownership of property. But the importance isn't being placed on ownership or property. The emphasis on, is on not placing too much importance on these things, because placing too much importance on them is idolatry. Jesus showed this young man that he couldn't claim to have kept the other commandments because he had not been able to keep the last. That by not keeping the last commandment, that can so quickly and easily consume our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he hadn't kept the first. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is even more clearly demonstrated because God was now standing right in front of him, in the person of Jesus, calling the young man to follow him. And he couldn't, because he loved all of his stuff, all of his possessions, more than Jesus, more than God. So this poor man had to leave Jesus' presence sad. And I say poor man because how many of us can relate to him? this young man who had made such an effort to be a good and faithful servant of God, but failed. Even Jesus' disciples could relate to the man as they said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, as we've journeyed together through the Ten Commandments, we've often reflected on which are easier to keep, which are more difficult. This last one, blows them all out of the water. None of us can claim to have never desired something that belonged to another. And if Jesus told you or me to sell all that we have, give it to the poor and follow him into insecurity, could we do it? Could we really do it? Look, I can argue that I've kind of done it at times in my lives. I've given up security to follow Jesus. I gave up a career in teaching to go to seminary But I'd also then have to confess that during the difficult times that have followed this I wasn't always content or satisfied with God's provision that I still sometimes longed for what I gave up. Jesus showed the rich young man and his disciples and us that not only is the 10th commandment impossible to keep, covetousness leads to breaking all the other commandments. Daryl Johnson, our friend, points out that when we break the Tenth Commandment, we always and automatically break the first. When we covet, we create idols that we love before God. And when we break the Tenth Commandment, not only do we break the first, we also break all the rest as well. When God is no longer above all things, when He's no longer the center of our lives, We start looking for anything and everything to fill that void. So we then break the second commandment. We begin to create God in our own image. We begin to create a God who fits our understanding of what God should be. A God who will serve us. A God who will give us what we want. Rather than the other way around. We then break the third commandment. We start to use God's name in vain. We use the name of God... to try to get God to do our bidding, to try to get him to give us what we want. We then break the fourth commandment. We no longer have time to stop our quest for satisfaction, to stop the rat race once a week, to seek God more. And then we break the fifth commandment. We no longer have time to honor our mother and father. Cause this gets in the way of our quest for satisfaction and then we break the sixth commandment maybe not by outright murdering somebody but we do begin to envy those who have what we want then we harbor bitterness and anger towards them and that as we looked at spills over into sarcasm and insults and demeaning and defiling them as a person <clears throat> we then break the seventh commandment maybe not again literally committing adultery But we do begin to lust after a desire, another, to fulfill this void, to fulfill our needs, to fulfill our quest for satisfaction. Then we break the Eighth Commandment. We begin to seek again what's not ours and give ourselves license to take it, to get what we want. We break the Ninth Commandment. We also give ourselves license to twist and manipulate the truth for our advantage, to get what we want, to serve our desire and quest for satisfaction. However, this desire is always stronger than our satisfaction. And so the quest is endless. It's a cycle that goes on and on with no hope of ever actually getting us what we want, what we covet. And so we covet more, and we want and want and want. When we break the tenth, we break them all. And perhaps this is one of the reasons There's a well-known saying that is made famous in Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, Radix malorum est cupiditas, which is Latin for the root of all evil is greed, or want, or desire. We see that while the Tenth Commandment may not have been a capital crime, it is deadly serious, and there's no better example of this than in Genesis 3. In the Garden of Eden, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden them to eat of, she saw that it was good for food, she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And this Hebrew word translated as pleasing is hamad, the same word used in the Tenth Commandment. So the woman disobeyed God. She took some of what was forbidden and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And so we see that it is covetousness, desire, wanting what is forbidden, greed, and acting on that desire to take what's off limits that leads to the first sin, to the fall. That covetousness is, in fact, the root of all evil, of all sin, of all suffering, of all pain, of all death in the world." Now why is this? Why does coveting, which as we said is a neutral word, it can be appropriate as well as inappropriate, how does this lead to all sin? As we read, the first sin in the Garden of Eden was taking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, of good and bad. It was an attempt to, as the serpent put it in Genesis 3-4, be like God. When we covet, we are putting ourselves and our needs at the center of our world in God's place. And this is an attempt to be like God, to make ourselves God, to make ourselves the ones who are to be served. So when we break the 10th commandment, we break the first. We love ourselves and our needs and what we want or desire more than God. But when we remove God from the center of our lives, we do create this void, this hole, A God-sized hole that is impossible to fill. Our desire is always greater than our satisfaction. We have no hope of meeting it, and so we want and want and want. Because we're all created to put God at the center of our lives and love Him above all else and worship Him as a result, when we fail to do this, we end up worshiping something else, trying to fill that God-sized hole. And we do all do this. We all love ourselves, and we want more than God. And so as the disciples said to each other, who then can be saved? But immediately Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And this means that the only thing that can free us from the sin of covetousness, of idolatry, that we all share, the only thing that can satisfy the desires of our covetous hearts is God. God knows that all that other stuff can't make us happy. He knows that only He can truly supply our needs. And that true contentment and satisfaction can only be found in Him. And so he offered us a way, a way back to him, a way back to putting him at the center of our lives through Jesus. We don't need all the stuff that the credit card companies tell us we need. They're lying to us. Our entire consumer society is built on this lie, but we don't need all the stuff that we have, and we certainly don't need all the stuff that we still want. We do need Jesus. We do need to love God instead of things, even instead of other people. We do need to have no other gods before Him and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the only way to keep this commandment that seems impossible to keep, the only antidote for our covetousness, our idolatry, and all that comes along with it, lust, desire, envy, the antidote to these things is to love And worship God. Now next Sunday marks the beginning of the new year of a church calendar. If you get one from Liz, you'll see it right there. And we turn to the season of Advent. So as we come now to the end of our journey through the Ten Commandments, we continue to think of them as our top ten New Year's resolutions. We see that they're not just a random list of rules, not just random principles. We see that they are all interconnected. You can't only keep some and break the others. Today we see how by ignoring any, we ignore them all. And in our journey together, we have seen that the law that God gave his people does reveal to us his character and how to live our lives as his people. We see that through the law that God has provided, he's provided a lamp to our feet and a light to our path towards rescue and redemption. But we've also reflected on how following this path alone through our own efforts is impossible. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, and God has made it possible through Jesus. He has provided the way through him. And so we are to respond to this. By turning back to Jesus. By remembering what he has done for us. By giving thanks for it. And praise. And worship. This is how we love him. We respond by loving God above all else with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today is Christ the King Sunday. So today we remember. Rather than seeking after all these things that can bring us nothing. To seek first the kingdom God, and to worship the one who is at the center of our lives, the one who we were created to serve, the one who we seek to rule our lives, to worship our King. So let's pray.